I don't think many of you have pew Bibles today, but if you do have a pew Bible, page 221, 2 Samuel chapter 11, David and Bathsheba. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. She had purified herself from her uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. When David was told Uriah did not go home, he asked him, Haven't you just come from a distance? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my master Joab and my lord's men are camped in the open fields. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, Stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, Put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Joab sent David a full account of the battle. He instructed the messenger, When you have finished giving the king this account of the battle, the king's anger may flare up and he may ask you, Why did you get so close to the city to fight? Didn't you know they would shoot arrows from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, son of Jerebesheth? Didn't a woman throw an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebes? 
Why did you get so close to the wall? If he asks you this, then say to him, Also your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. The messenger sent out, and when he arrived, he told David everything Joab had sent him to say. The messenger said to David, The men overpowered us and came out against us in the open, but we drove them back to the entrance to the city gate. Then the archers shot arrows at your servants from the wall, and some of the king's men died. Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. David told the messenger, Say this to Joab. Don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as another. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Can I use this? How are we going? Can you hear us at the back now? It's working well? Oh, terrific. Okay, good. We'll move that out of the way then. Praise God. Father, thank you so much for your word that we can explore together today. And I pray that you'll open our hearts and our minds to receive what you have to say to us to understand the relevance of this ancient story and may we really learn some powerful lessons and avoid incredible problems that beset David, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're still exploring the life of, of David, a man after God's own heart. And when you think of the life of David, there there are probably two events that come to mind. One would have to be Goliath, and the other one would be Bathsheba. Exactly. It's interesting that those two big events come to mind so so quickly. They're monumental events in the life of David because when David slew Goliath, it revealed David's humility. And in the second, with Bathsheba, it reveals his humanity. In the first, David proved that he was a man of faith. In the second, David proved he was a man of flesh. When David met that giant Goliath, we are privileged to witness probably one of his greatest victories. When David met Bathsheba, we witness probably his greatest defeat. So up until this moment, David had never lost a battle. Every time he stepped into the field of combat, David won the battle and he walked off the field a victor. However, when David entered the field of combat in the arena of his own heart... He was soundly defeated by a giant far more powerful than Goliath ever was. So today I want to look back at this this painful moment in the life of David and I want us to witness the defeat of a mighty man of God. I want us to see him fall at the feet of a powerful, brutal giant. I want us to look into David's sin. Why? So that we can avoid the same trap. And I know that if it wasn't for the grace of God, I could be talking about any one of us here today in this particular kind of story. So let's have a look at the giant that slew David. And let's be aware of our own internal giants that we face in life. Because you see, it isn't the giant of sickness or suffering or sorrow or poverty or pain, 
some other external giant that you might care to name that's going to give us the greatest trouble in our lives. The giant is going to cause us the greatest trouble actually dwells in your own heart and he dwells in your own heart right now. Many people fear the giants of life. Many people fear health problems, death, financial crisis, all that sort of thing. They leave us quaking in fear. Yet we never stop to think about the giants that we carry around inside us. And that's what I want to look at today and understand this particular passage. We all carry around a giant inside us. So let's have a look at the facts about David's giant. And why is this important? Because this giant that slew David wants to kill you too. If it doesn't kill you physically, emotionally, spiritually, there's a death that happens. So let's have a look at the giant that slew David. First of all, I want to look at the personality of David's giant. Let's have David's giant considered first of all. If you really want to understand the nature of the giant that dwells in David's heart, we need to go back to 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 12 to 13. Let's just have a quick look there because there are some interesting words. 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 12 to 13. David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. After he left Hebron, David took more concubines and wives in Jerusalem and more sons and daughters were born to him. This is interesting. We are told, we are told that God had blessed David, that God had established the kingdom for David. And we are told that, God, that David recognizes the hand of, of divine providence at work in his life. So thank God, thank God for the unseen hand of God's providence at work in each of our lives. Okay there? Under control? Okay, good. Verse 13, though, it says that David took more concubines and wives in Jerusalem. That's interesting. Now, what's wrong with this? What's wrong with David taking some more wives and concubines? Well, after all, David's a mighty king. He can afford them. He's undefeated in the, in the field of battle. He's expanded the kingdom. He's built a great army. He's placed the right men in the, in, the, in the right places. He's led the nation to grow militarily. He's led the nation to grow financially. He's led the nation to grow spiritually. And surely no one's going to care if David indulges in his appetite for some women, taking to himself many wives and concubines. Well, God cared. God cares a lot. Because what David was doing now is in direct contradiction to the word of God. In Deut Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 and 7, 14 to 17, the king is forbidden to do three things. He is not to accumulate horses. He is not to accumulate wives. And he is not to accumulate gold or silver. He's forbidden to do these things. Now, David honors God's command regarding items number one and three. When horses are taken in battle, he hamstrings them. So... He does that. He also dedicates the gold and silver taken as spoil. He dedicates that to the Lord. He does that well. But he disregards the second command about accumulating wives. So David had a giant. And I think if we're going to attach a name to the giant, it's probably going to be lust. He really battles with this. It appears that David has some strong sexual desires. He seeks to satisfy them by having plenty of wives and some extra concubines on the side as well. And David, I think, like many others, has discovered that the more you indulge in this kind of thing, it doesn't satisfy your desire. It actually grows your desire. That's a problem. So David has a problem with a spiritual giant called lust. Now, you might not battle with that particular giant. 
but there will be another one or two or more that you battle with as well. In fact, if you've never done it, maybe it's a good moment to think about it. What's the name of the giant in your life? What is it? Who is it that you are battling with? Because I think the first step to defeating this giant is admitting that the giant exists. That's the first thing we need to be doing. That's the same if you went to Alcoholics Anonymous, I am an alcoholic. Gamblers Anonymous, I am a gambler. You admit those things. That's where we need to be. Well, that's David's giant considered. Let's have David's giant constructed. Where did this giant come from? Because after all, David was a man after God's own heart, wasn't he? Well, there are several factors that combine to allow David's own giant to have the power to attack his life. The first one is David neglected his duty. As king, where should David have been at that particular time? It tells us here in the Bible, it tells us that this was the time when the kings went out to war in springtime. Yeah? Isn't that what it says? Okay, that's exactly where David should have been. He should have been with his men. He should have been going out to war with his men. But instead, he was at home. They were out fighting and dying at home. He's having an idle time because David is lying around in bed when he should have been in battle. Too much free time. The mind starts to wander into areas it shouldn't be. There's the old proverb, an idle mind at the devil's workshop. Isn't that true? Find the same thing in our lives. Idle minds, we get up to all sorts of mischief, even if it's just gossip. We do that. There was also success, because David has enjoyed absolute success and victory over all the enemies of Israel. And that success is a heady thing. But you're never more vulnerable in your life than when you've just enjoyed great success because you tend to feel invincible, don't you? That's what happens. And there's also pride. David knew that God was with him and he may have let that knowledge go to his head. So there's nothing I can't do now, he's thinking to himself. It's interesting, isn't it, though? When you're going through hard times, that's when you're depending on God. Hard times are good for your prayer. Life. That's when you're praying. That's when you're intense about, yes, the Lord's got to come through for me or else. And yet when you have all the success and everything's going wonderful, ah, oh, prayer time, let's not worry about that too much. Are we able to turn off that whatever it is that's making such a noise over there in the corner? Is it? Okay, is it okay? Is he asleep? He's awake? He's doing all right. Okay, fine. He's not well. Okay, fine. I'll try and ignore it too. Let's go back and focus in on David for the moment. He was arrogant too, because he's become to believe his own press. How do we see that around the place? Now everyone's focusing over there. There's another big area in life that's going on for David. What, what is he neglecting? What's he doing? He's neglecting his spiritual duty as well, because I'm quite sure that during this time, while all of this is going on, whilst he's so proud, proud of himself and he's got so much spare time, he isn't, isn't spending prayer time. He's not spending Bible study time. He's just slacking around doing nothing. And I'm sure there are lots of other causes, but we need to understand the truth that, that David's giant was something that he allowed to thrive in his own life. He could have prevented by this from happening if he'd taken the proper steps. Now, let's not be too hard at the moment on David, because there are times when we're all guilty of feeding our own giants, even if that giant is called chocolate in the cupboard. Yeah? That's, that's something that we all can relate to straight away. Yeah? If it's in the cupboard, you know you're going to go for it, don't you? 
It's all gone. It's, it's, that's when you can resist because it's not there until you go shopping. Well, it's like that. It's like that. We feed our own giants and then they become powerful and they overwhelm us. So when you see yourself falling into the trap that David was falling into, you need to know that this giant of yours is going to get out of hand. And when he does, he's not going to just stop until he's destroyed your life in one way or another. So David's giant and the giants that we face, they don't usually come from outside. It's interesting. The Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 14, each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Where's the evil desire come from? It's yours. It's your own. It lives within your heart. So we need to be certain that, that our inner man, our spiritual person, needs to be strengthened so that we can do battle with the giants. So let's have a look at the, the power of David's giant. As we examine what, what happened when David faced this giant of lust, we can learn something about the power of this giant that exercise, he exercises, how he exercises his power in David's life. And we need to watch our own battle going on. Because this giant had the power to ensnare David's mind, first of all. Think of the context from what's going on here. David is lying in his bed, right? Lazing around, doing nothing when he should have been out, to, out leading the battle with his men. He decides to take a walk on the roof of his palace. So, you know, probably there's a patio just outside his royal chambers, something like that. And history tells us that the, tells us that the kings often had rooftop areas that were covered over and they were lavishly decorated. And you could get out there and you could just survey your kingdom. How wonderful that would be. There are places of sanctuary for the king. It's above the noise of the, of the city and high enough so that you've got some privacy from people looking at you from below. And on this particular night, David sees this woman bathing. And the Bible says that her physical appearance was very beautiful. The word very is used 297 times in the Bible. I counted. No, I got a concordance and worked it out from there, I'll tell you. But the word very is usually used as an adverb, but this time it's an adjective. And there are only two women that are described as very beautiful in the Bible. One is the wife of Isaac, and one is the wife of, of this particular woman, Bathsheba. Very beautiful. So the Bible uses this word very as an adjective sparingly. So when the Bible says very beautiful, you've got to imagine that this is a stunner particular woman. The Bible is not there to exaggerate, it's to, to describe this is a most incredibly wonderful looking woman. Bathsheba was very beautiful to look upon. So she's an absolute vision of female beauty and physical perfection. And when David sees her, this giant of lust falls to life in his, in, his, in, his, in his own being. And all that David can think of now is Bathsheba. He wants to know who she is and everything about her. And his mind is filled with probably with fantasies. I can imagine what's going on. Come on, guys, you can imagine it, can't you? doesn't take two seconds. You go like, oh, yeah, yeah, all right. He's forgotten who he is. He's forgotten who he served. He's forgotten how he's, how he's supposed to be living. The giant has now taken control of David's mind. And when he sees her, he wants her and he took her. And that's how sin works. James chapter 1 verse 15 says, After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it's fully grown gives birth to death. There's a pattern. And that's precisely what's going on for David. And that's how sin has worked and always will work. It's the same thing that Adam and Eve struggled with. It's the same thing that we struggle with. 
1 John 2.16 says, For everything in the world, the cravings of the sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The devil has never changed his way of operating. Works exactly the same way right now in your heart. So the first step that you and I need to take when we want to overcome our own giants is that Understand that there's a thought that develops within your mind and that, and that thought demands to be fulfilled. The mind is the first battlefield with a giant of sin. If your mind falls, the rest of you will go, just like a stack of dominoes. Now, God has a lot to say about our minds and what's going on there. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 5 says this, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What are we taking captive? We are taking captive thoughts. That's where sin is going to start in your life. It's in your thought life. That's where that giant is residing, in your thought life. It's your thoughts that cause you issues. And the mind has to be guarded or the giants are going to ensnare your mind and lead the rest of your body into rebellion and sin. That's how it has worked. That's how it will work. It's going to continue that work that way until Jesus comes back. So incredibly, this, power had, had this, this giant had the power to ensnare David's mind it also had the, the power to erase David's reason. Look what's going on here. When, when David inquires about Bathsheba, he is told some things about her. Number one, she is the wife of a loyal soldier. David, she is not your wife. David, she is not your concubine. David, she is someone else's wife, a loyal soldier's wife. Not only that, she's also the granddaughter of a trusted advisor of David. Now, Information that should have stopped David cold in his tracks. But instead he presses on. And that's the power of the giants that assault us. They first ensnare the mind and then they seem to ensnare all sort of reason. Because when you're in the grip of lust or whatever else it is that you're battling with, some sort of fleshly desire, you'll be doing things that you wouldn't do under normal circumstances when your mum's watching you. Eh? You wouldn't. But all of a sudden, you just go a bit mental. You lose your senses. You become intoxicating with, with, with gratifying your fleshly desires. You know, when, a look is allowed to, when your look is allowed to linger, what's next? Thieves after that. And when lust conceives, is the result. The Bible tells us that. There's the problem. Now, I know I'm talking about lust at the moment because that's this particular thing. But it might be something completely different for you. But it's a giant and it's going to ensnare you. Be careful. Not only does this, this giant make his whole reasoning go wacky, it also has the power to eclipse David's God. Let's think about what's going on here. David knew better, didn't he? He knew better. He's 50 years old at this stage. He's been king of Israel for 20 years. He's a man of God. He's a mighty warrior. He's the sweet singer of Israel. He's able to sing these beautiful songs of praise to his God. But at that partic this particular moment in time, well, it shows us that he had feet of clay, didn't he? He brings Bathsheba into his bed. He commits adultery with another man's wife. He dishonours her. He dishonours her husband. He dishonours all of his wives. He dishonours his God. 
thou shalt not commit adultery. Seems to be a fairly basic command, beginning, wasn't it? So David's forgotten about his relationship with God. This giant of lust has blinded him to the point where David has become a practical atheist. How many of you people who call yourself born-again Christians are at times practical atheists? When you allow the giant to roar to life in your, in your mind, you become a practical atheist because the giant is there and because the giant's standing there, you can't see God anymore. You forget about what you're supposed to be doing and how you're supposed to be behaving. The Bible says, stolen waters is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant, it says in the Proverbs. And David pays for this moment of pleasure with a whole lifetime of pain after this. This is the power of sin. David forgot God. And if you give in to your giants, you also are going to forget about God. When the giant rises up in your heart, he will block the view of the Father. And when that happens, you find yourself doing things that you never thought possible. And that's why it's so important that the giants we fight with be defeated when they first appear, when they first begin to attack. If we stop him right there, he will not control our lives. Now I want to address a couple of matters before I move on. In this particular story, both David and Bathsheba were at fault. Both of them. David is a man of God. He knows better than to do what he's doing. He's the aggressor in this horrible act. He's the one who has the power. He's the one who has the authority, right? So he's the man who's in charge and in control. But surely Bathsheba also knew that what's about to happen is not right. She could have known, surely, when she's bathing on a rooftop. Who's got a view of my bathtub? And why have I got the lights on? Because eh? this happened during an evening sometime when, when David's out walking out on the roof of his house and he spy, spies his woman. Now, I don't know about you, but I reckon that I could probably spot whether a woman's naked from a long distance, but whether she's beautiful, I'm going like, nah, I probably have to be a bit closer. So I'm thinking that she must have been close to the palace. So there's a couple of things there. First of all, be careful how you look at others. That's the first lesson. We all know adultery is wrong. Jesus says that looking at someone with lust is constituting adultery as well. So even a look can be wrong. We've got to be so careful how we look. Now for men, I know this is probably a greater problem than it is for women. We're wired a little bit different. We're stimulated by what we see. That's how it works for men. And guys, I need to remind you, every woman in this world is either your sister in Christ or a lost soul who needs Jesus. That's really important. We need to remember And I think if we, if we look at women that way, and if we, grandfathers, me, yeah, I'm a grandfather too, if we instruct our sons and our grandsons this way, we will do them a great service. We'll teach them how to be men of honour. That's really important. There's no excuse for any man to look upon a woman with lust in his heart unless he's married to her. And I know that's hard not to do. But the second lesson, I think, is be careful how you look to others. That's a this is the lesson for the women. So mothers, grandmothers, we need to be teaching our, our daughters and our granddaughters how they look. Are they becoming stumbling blocks for the men in their lives? If you dress up to look sexy, what do you expect a bloke to do? I don't mean you have to look like a frumpy old 
whatever, you know. You don't have to. You can be attractive. I understand that. But there are ways of doing that. Are we dressing for conquest or relationship? Two different things going on. And I try and instruct my daughters with that and I tear my hairs out. It's really hard because they want to go along to their festivals and all this sort of stuff and they're scantily clad. I'm going, for goodness sakes, girls, what do you expect the guys to be doing? You want them to treat you with respect? Well, dress to be respected. Oh, but Dad, then I'll be different. It's a tough one. The Bible calls for women to dress modestly, and I think that's important. That's a huge battle, isn't it? These are, these are tough areas in life to deal with. Well, let's have a look at the problems with David's giant. Let's move on. The problem David experienced with his giant is the same one we face when we deal with our giant. David fed his giant. And when you feed the giant, he's going to want more. Once the giant of lust you know, gets out of the cage, it's going to spread like cancer until it consumes the whole of David's life. Notice what this giant of lust does to David. First of all, it leads him down a very deceptive path. Look what's happening here in this story. After David has committed his sin with Bathsheba, David tries every tactic he can think of to get Uriah to come home and to sleep with his wife. Why? Because David had made her pregnant. So if Uriah comes home real quick and sleeps with his wife, then maybe no one's going to notice. However, Uriah is a man of integrity, much more integrity than David. Have a look at verse 11 of our reading. Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my master Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open fields. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Uriah is a man of integrity. Because even the ark of the covenant is with the men in battle. That's where David should have been. And Uriah wouldn't go home the first night, so David gets him drunk the second night. He's trying to use deception to try and cover over his sins. And instead of stepping up and being a man and confessing his sin to God and dealing with the consequences, David tries to hide it like a coward. Now, when people find themselves under the grip and control of their sins, they will try every method possible to hide their sins. I know you will because I do. Right? That's how we are as human beings. God's way is openness and honesty. Man's way is to hide what's going on. And sin will lead you down a path of deception. We've got to be so careful. And it led David down a deepening path as well. Because when the deception didn't work, David settles on another plan. Let's remove Uriah altogether. So he devises a plan to get Uriah killed in battle. He even sent Uriah back with his own death warrant. How cruel was that? David's gone berserk because he's become a murderer now. And Joab carries out David's orders. Well, later that plan's going to be used against David when you read a bit more. So sin is leading David deeper and deeper into its prison and further and further away from his God. And that's how sin always works. Sin is never satisfied. It'll lead you along. It'll take you deeper and deeper, ever tightening its grip on your heart. So don't be deceived by the giant that dwells in your heart. Don't, he will settle for nothing short of your destruction. That's why the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. That's true. There's pleasure in sin for a moment, but after that, the way of the transgressor is hard. The Bible means what it says. Well, not only did, did, did 
David's giant led him down a deceptive path and a deepening path. It was also a devastating path because after Uriah dies and Bathsheba fulfills her mourning period, David takes her as his wife. But hang on a second. Folks can count. Hey? The thinking person is going to figure out at least part of what's happening here. Joab, the general, is going to know. Taking it to his wife and all this sort of stuff. But hang on a second, that baby came awful quick, didn't he? David shows no remorse. It appears that his heart is hard. He's lost his sensitivity to the Lord. Sin devastating his, his, his wife, his life. Interesting to note in verse 27, it says, David had her brought to his house. He had Bathsheba brought to his house. Do you remember last week we were looking at David having someone else brought to his house? The last time that David had someone, what, someone fetched, it was to show them incredible compassion. Remember he fetched Mephibosheth? Mephibosheth? Jonathan's son? The first time he fetched someone was to show love. The second time he fetches someone is to show lust. What's happened to this man? How the mighty have fallen. This is what sin does. It, it, sin sears the conscious, making sin easier and easier until your li entire life is destroyed. You have your, your, your heart is seared. It's, it's as with a hot iron, it says in the scriptures. You know, you've been cauterized. And sin has taken control. It dulls your sensitivity to God and His Sin will wreck your life, it'll ruin your life, it'll take hold of you. We need to be careful because Satan doesn't want to show his cards. He doesn't want to tell you that this is what's going to happen to you, though you and I know this. He never tells you the truth about sin. What is the truth about sin? Well, the wages of sin is death, says the Bible. Ezekiel, the soul who sins is the one who will die. Well, there's an alternative to all of that in Galatians the 6 verse 9, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Brothers and sisters, we are in battle until we go home to be with Jesus. Let us not give up on the battle. Don't let the giant that dwells in your heart destroy and devastate your heart, your life. This is a sad place to leave David in this particular chapter, but have a look at verse 27. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. That verse, it just hangs out like, you know, smoke from the crematorium. It just hangs over the whole thing. Death is there. Sin is there. Praise God, though, this story is not over. Is actually the beginning. God doesn't leave those he loves in the grip of sin. He has a way of bringing them to their senses and setting them free. And we'll see that played, over, played out in David's life over the next couple of weeks. But here's the issue that we need to deal with. David's sin was sin. That's it. Full stop. It could have been committed by any one of us. He's not unique in this. Yet it was magnified by who David was and how he handled it. But we're no greater than David. We're all prone to fall, just as he's prone to fall. And if we're not careful, there's a giant lurking in the recesses of our heart and he desires to destroy us. So, if you are dealing with a giant that's trying to destroy you, 
you don't have to lose the battle. You can have victory. You can have victory today. The first step is going to be honest with you. Get honest with yourself and get honest with God. What is the battle that you're fighting? That means you need to tell God the whole truth. He knows it anyway. Tell him what you're struggling with. And then lean upon him. Find the strength in him. He will give you the strength. He will give you the victory. But notice that it starts in your thought life. What's going on there, first of all, tell God about that. Let him know that you're struggling. And say, Lord, I need you. I need your victory. I am in Christ. I'm no longer in myself. I'm no longer depending on me, Lord. I'm going to depend on you living in me. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ. That's what we need to do. So when we consider ourselves that way, that's a change in our thinking. I'm no longer alive to this sin. I died with Christ. It no longer has hold of me. It no longer can control me because I am dead to that. And I'm alive to the living God who lives within me. When you start thinking that way, you can start saying that and you can have the victory today right now. It's easy for me to say. It's hard for you to do. <laughs> I know the difference. We need to come to the Lord. We need to talk to him about it. We don't have to battle with our own giant. We can have him bring the victory in our lives. I know I need God. I know you need God. Let's talk to him about it. Shall we pray? Father, we want to give you thanks. We want to give you praise that we can explore someone else's life and see their difficulties and their pain and their suffering, stuff that they go through. And then we recognize that, oh, Lord, that's me too. So, Father, thank you that you invite us to come before the throne of grace in time of need. And every day is a time of need for us as we do battle with the giants that exist in our own hearts and in our own minds. Father, we want to hand over our thinking to you. We want our thought life to be right. We want to be able to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. So, Father, garrison our minds. Protect us from the attack of the evil one. Make us willing and able to be willing and able as your spirit works within us. We hand ourselves over to you. We hold nothing back. You be our God. We want to be your people. Fill us afresh with your spirit. May we be like Jesus. Lord, work in us. Walk in us. Speak through us. Let us touch others for you and for your glory. And never forget who we are, that we were bought with your blood, Lord Jesus. You paid the price and we are set free. Help us think the right way. For your glory we pray in Jesus' name.